Good morning. I, can we, I haven't done this for a while, but can, can we, we could do a little better than that. Like we, there's a lot of us here. This is a good day. Good morning. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. Um, it's great to be together today. Uh, my name's Jay. Wasn't that mean of us to do to Aaron? I to- we totally threw him under the bus with the announcements. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just highlighted by the fact that he, you know, he's becoming an elder, like a leader in our community, a shepherd. I mean, he's been all these things, but we're officially making it. So, um, and uh, he's like, I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> so, um, sorry, but thank you. <laughs> we're starting a new series today called Rooted. Uh, And the idea that we're going for is that we're tending to who we really are in Christ. Um, This is our identities series, our identity in Christ, which if you've been around uh, Cultivate for long enough, which at this point would be more than two years, uh, you've you've heard, we we do this series on a regular basis. Uh, It's been a little while since we've done it, but um, we figured as a church, since we're regathering again, we're starting to sort of reestablish our, our root system, so to speak. We really need to um, talk about and highlight our identity again because our identity shapes who we are and it shapes what we do, both as individuals and as, uh, as we live our life together as the church. And what, what, we, what we discuss in this series regularly is that our, our identity is made up uh, of our relationship to a triune God. That is, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Those, attri- the, those persons of God, uh, in, in who He is in His nature, uh, have an impact on our identity when we come into relationship with that God. And so, God is Father, which means we are His family. We are God's family. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God who came uh, as Lord and King, and so we are His disciples who learn our way of life from Jesus and um, the Holy Spirit, who has come to empower and send His church to be His witnesses. And so we are uh, God's missionaries. So family, disciple, and missionary ended up, end up making up kind of the, the three aspects of our identity in Christ. So we're going to take a week to talk about each of these identities. And one of the ways to, to talk about the concept of identity is to say that um, the Christian life is such that we are continually in the process of becoming or actualizing who we really are. That's that. If you're from a maybe more um, a church that talks more technically maybe than we do, that's the process of sanctification. It's becoming who we really are in Christ. That the gap between who God says we are and how we live continues to shrink, continues to become negligible. And as I said, it's been a couple years since we've revisited this series, so it's probably time to look at it again. You know, like a few things have happened in the last two years. I don't know if you've heard. Um, maybe you have. But. So today we, we're beginning with our identity as the family of God. Aaron mentioned that a couple times already. And I want to I begin by asking our kids. So hey kids, uh, look up for a second from your activity books if you can. Uh, Since you're in the room and we're talking about the family of God, I asked uh, Caleb this last night and he gave me a really intelligent answer. And I I expect that you guys would 
uh, give better answers than the adults in the room. So here's the question, okay? What does it mean to be part of a family? Who has an answer? To contribute. That's a wonderful answer, Logan. Wow. Yeah, your dad's like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> That's, that might come up later this week. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's to be a contributing member, right? You, you don't just take from a family, although you get to receive from your family, but you give. It's a two-way relationship, not a one-way transaction. What else? Come on, guys. What does it mean to be part of a family? Logan's got another answer. To do the leaves. That's part of contributing. <laughs> all right, Matthew's a big kid. I'll, I'll let it slide. Go ahead. Okay, all right. Having annoying siblings. You have no idea how true that is, Vera. <laughs> All right, Logan, one more answer out from you. Unkind brothers and sisters. Yeah, we have, to lear- we have to learn what love looks like with our siblings, right? We have to learn how to forgive each other and bear with one another and all those things that the Bible talks about. Olive, do you have an answer? <laughs> All right, we can come back to you. Zane, what do you say? To be loved. That's awesome, Zane. That's perfect. Yes, yeah, to be in a relationship with other people that love you and care for you and see you for who you are, value your contribution to the family. James, all right, you're a big kid. Go ahead. Yeah. For mutual benefit, is that what you said? Yeah. You use words that most kids are not used to using, but I'll, it's a, I get your meaning, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're regularly in one another's lives realizing that 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 connection, that that interconnection ends up benefiting everyone involved, right? That's great. All right. Um, When I think about the idea of family, um, a word comes to mind, and that word is to belong. Uh, It's to experience a sense of belonging, a, a sense like you fit, like you're welcome. Like you, you have a place that people see you as you are and value the contribution that you give to the whole. You belong. Um, and that, that's the concept that I want to press into today. Um, because uh, being part of a family means that we belong. But we have, uh, in so many ways, because of uh, just making our way through uh, the world, are constantly put into situations and into relationships and environments that cause us to question our belonging and to feel the need to work to secure that belonging. Which only leaves us feeling anxious and fearful and full of shame. So, the good news that we proclaim today, family, is that in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression 
of needing to secure our own identity by giving us a new identity as beloved children of God who belong to one another as a new family in Christ. We belong both to God and to one another. That's what it means to be part of the family of God. So we, we could look at a whole host of uh, places to, to construct this idea. Um, I would like to look today at Galatians 3 and Galatians 6 because I think they have a lot to say to this particular topic. So uh, that's where we're going to reside today. If you don't know where Galatians 3 or 6 are, um, just whisper to the person next to you or the person in front of you. We have Bibles, then you can, you can page through. It's towards the back of the book. If somebody knows the page number, go ahead and call it out. You can interrupt me. Um, we're going to look at Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29, and then Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And it says this. What's that? 8.12. Thanks, Aaron. 8.12. Verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, talking about Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there is, nor, there, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, chapter nine or chapter six, verse nine. Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. All right, this uh, this little section, this letter, was written by Paul, and it was written to a network of house churches that were scattered across Asia Minor. They all had the common connection in Jesus, but they were all sort of separate in little enclaves around. Uh, and they were all trying to figure out what does it look like to, to follow Jesus as a community. Um, and in order to follow the logic of, of what Paul is trying to say in his message, you have to understand the problem that these churches are facing. They're facing a problem. Now, the, the context was that these Small churches are made up of Jewish and non-Jewish Christians. They're, they're sort of an interracial community. And the, the Jewish Christians, or the Jewish portion of that community, um, had no problem considering themselves the family of God. They, they understood because of their history and their ethnicity and their nationalism that they were God's people, that God was their father and that they belonged to God, that they were part of His family. They were descendants of Abraham, and God had chosen them to be his special family, to represent him to the world, to keep his covenant, and to show the world what he's like. But now, um, things have changed, to, to, say, to put it mildly. Um, Jesus, as, jo as God's true son, has come, and Jesus, as God's true and final son, is establishing not just a family of Jewish believers and followers of Jesus, but a family of all people, 
everywhere. What, is it, what it means is that everyone, no matter what family you come from, was welcome to be part of God's family now. So what's the problem? That sounds great, doesn't it? Um, the problem is that we often don't like to share. <laughs> That's the problem in our house a lot of times, you know. Things are going along just great when there's one toy and one person gets it. But now when, suddenly when it's everyone's, we have to figure out, like, how do we live together in this new reality? How do we share? Um, because the, and to make matters worse, there was, a, there was a group of Jewish Christians known as Judaizers who were traveling around Asia Minor, just like Paul had, and they were visiting one church after another, and their, their goal was to try to convince the non-Jewish believers that were part of that community to submit themselves to something called circumcision. Essentially what they wanted was for the, the Gentiles to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. In order to really belong. Their message in a sense was, yes, you belong, but not really yet. And, and this had an effect on each of these communities. Um, because even if people did uh, submit themselves to this rite, this, this uh, ritual, it was creating, in a sense, a, a class system whereby some people in the community were more welcome than others. It created a power differential that was happening. And so what Paul's saying here is that um, God's law, which is where they got the idea to, circum uh, to circumcise people in the first place as a sign of His covenantal love, He's saying that was only a guardian. It was like a, a, a tutor who came along to, to lead you to the truth, to get you ready for the real thing. And now that real thing has come. You know what the real thing is? It's baptism. Not circumcision. Not becoming a Jew. But getting wet as a sign that you're in relationship with Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, that's it. Like, that's, that's all that's necessary. And, and, and if that happens to you, then you're part of the family. Now, what is baptism then? I, I mentioned it's getting wet, but it's more than getting wet. Uh, baptism, as we understand it, is a, is a naming ceremony. And I, I don't mean like you get a new, uh, like if your name's, you know, Joe, then you get you know, the name Steve, too. Um, but it, it, it's naming you in a way, it's, 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 it's saying that there's a new identity at work over who you are as a person. Um, and in fact, we're, we're, we'd like to celebrate baptism at the end of November and the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So if you're thinking about being baptized, I would love to talk to you. Um, but it's, it, it's a celebration of God giving you a new identity that's not based on what you've done or done, done for Him or what's been done to you by other people, but based on what He's done for you. You're baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Spirit. You're taking on a new reality in relationship to the God who loves you. Um, the word baptized in Greek means to saturate something so that it takes on the full characteristics of what it's been immersed into. 
So if we, you know, if we were into um, dyeing fabrics and we dipped a white cloth in red dye, it would come out red. You've baptized it red. It is now taken on. It's saturated with the new substance. And so, so baptism means that we're, we identify with Christ, His burial and His resurrection. And it's a way of saying publicly that all that's true of Jesus is now true of me. I've received a new name. And because we have a new name that's not based on what we've done, but what God's done to us, it brings a newfound freedom to live without anxiety or confusion because finally, finally, finally we know who we are. And so what what Paul is saying to this community is that your, your baptism, which he assumes that they've all received, it means that you're God's children. It means that you're adopted into God's family forever, that God has chosen you, not just the section of you that came from Judaism, but all of you. And so to the, to the Jewish believers in this community saying you no longer need to hold on to your old identity because you have a new one in Christ. And to the non-Jewish believers, he's saying you, you don't need to feel anxious or fearful or shameful because you too are one in Christ. In other words, being baptized into Christ means that we, we get to hear the same thing Jesus heard at His baptism from His Father. Because His Father has become our Father and that Father says over us, you are my son, you are my daughter. In you I'm well pleased. Now here's the thing. And this gets back to the problem. Um, it's, it, it's not that the Galatian Christians don't already know this. They know it. Paul, in fact, he says, like, someone's come in and preached a different gospel than the one I preached to you. You already know all this information. The issue is that you've had an experience which made you question what you already know. There's a gap between your lived experience which is telling you you don't belong and the reality of your actual belonging. And so what I want to do today is I want to contend that that gap when it comes to our belonging, exists just as really for us as it did for the Galatians. That in fact, the, the, it's that gap which drives so much of our anxiety, our fear, and our shame. That like the Galatians, that gap was created as a response to experiences that either undermine or destroyed our sense of belonging. And all of us, by God's grace, are working to rebuild that relational attachment. Um, I've recently been studying something called um, attachment theory, which has been like a side project for me, and it's, it's, I find it incredibly fascinating. Um, but I, I discovered it through a Christian counselor named Crispin Mayfield. And it, attachment theory is the study of how we learn to form relational attachments to other people and to God. And what what Crispin and others have discovered is that there are these patterns that we all develop at some point in life as as sort of protection mechanisms when we feel insecure, when we feel like we don't belong. And there there are three uh, unhealthy attachments. There's anxious attachment, there's shut-down attachment, and there's shame-filled attachment. These are his words for them. 
And all of them are, are uh, attempts to insulate ourselves from the pain of feeling like we don't belong, either with God or with other people. So um, let me share a little bit about each one. This will be fun. If you were like, I needed to go to the bathroom, but now I really need to go to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> it's about to get real. Um, anxious attachment. Anxious attachment is a pattern of sort of worriedly seeking closeness with God, fearing that the moment that we relax will backslide into separation. It's an overfunctioning in relationship to God and, and other people because we're convinced that it's entirely up to us to maintain closeness with God, which means that we can never fully rest with Him. And the reason, the reason that we relate to God uh, in this way is because we've been taught that keeping connection with people is entirely on our shoulders, which pushes us to anxiously cling to others as though they're like a helium-filled balloon just waiting to fly away into the ether the moment that we relax our white-knuckled grip on them. As you can imagine, it's exhausting to have... Uh, anxious attachment, but it's better than being abandoned to disconnection. And at, at the core is a, a fundamental distrust that God will get close to us, and so we have to scheme our way, our own map for getting close to Him. And when we, we, when we practice anxious spirituality, we, we worry about drifting or backsliding or falling away from the faith, that if we don't keep that connection strong, who will? Many of us were told that this is the way faith works. We, this has been our experience of the Christian life. That we have to constantly double-check that we're doing enough to stay close, constantly gripping onto the balloon string, trying to keep God's attention. And so, uh, we'll make sure to always have a quiet time. Never miss church. Commit to battling and rebattling and redoubling our efforts to get a a foothold over whatever sin might become our vice. And then when we can't do these things, we get the anxious unease that we might not be clinging to Him enough. It's exhausting, isn't it? But it's better than the alternative, which is to be left alone. Like I said, if you have to use the bathroom, I get it. I understand. These are fun, right? Um, So that's anxious... Uh, attachment. Shutdown attachment is the second one. Shutdown attachment is a pattern of trying to stuff down our negative emotions as a way to get close to God. It's based on the presumption that emotions like fear, sadness, pain, doubt are incompatible with a life of faith. And so we try as hard as we can not to feel those things often using religious language, saying things like, well, if God is in control, then why should I worry? So what what we're doing is we're shutting down uncomfortable feelings because it seems like that's the path to becoming the kind of person that really trusts in God. And we want to show God our best. And and so we do this, as we do this, we deal with the more vulnerable parts of who we are, or better yet, we pretend like they don't exist at all. Shutdown spirituality makes no room for needs or emotions. We can't take the chance 
of sharing our pain or our doubt or our fear lest it lead to a a terrifying disconnection. And so we squash our feelings, hoping that we will get close to God as a result. But over time, without the ability to go to God with our stress, it becomes increasingly difficult to feel authentically connected to God as our Father or to others in a community. And so our our practices of shutdown spirituality leave us starved for the true connections that we actually need. The third is shame-filled attachment. Shame-filled attachment teaches us that the best way to get close to God is to shame and blame ourselves for falling below His standard of perfection. We tell ourselves that uh, if we could just be a little better, then we could get close to God. But because we don't have agency to quite transform our lives enough, um, because that's not a realistic possibility, we can at least punish ourselves for not being good enough before God ever gets a chance to do it Himself. And we end up trying to get close by proving to God that we really know how bad we are and how unlovable we are. This looks like the kid that continuously criticizes himself in his head before his parents get a chance to. Because if he can find all the faults with himself, then he'll pretend that then he'll be prepared for the shame that is waiting for him as he tries to get close to his parents. See, the the shame-filled foundation is the belief that I'm not good enough to get love and belonging from God. And we've turned this into a Christian belief. We've, we've, We've told ourselves that this is what it means to be in relationship with God, that we are somehow disgusting to Him until Christ comes and cleanses our hearts. So what the result of that is that we end up hating the person that we are today, hoping that God will see at least that we know how far we've fallen short. In shame-filled spirituality, there's no immediate solution to get closeness, to get the closeness that we need. And we only find ourselves vacillating between judgmental nearness and lonely distance. We've completely lost the vision of a father who delights in us and in so doing, We've also lost a vision of ourselves as children of God and dearly beloved. Can you relate to any of these? Do you see any of these images of uh, gaining belonging at, at, at work in your life, in your relationships, and in the way that you think about and relate to God? The, the irony is that... Um, not only can individuals take on these personas or these, these ways of trying to attach to God, whole churches can do it too. And in particularly, these attachment styles come out when there's stress involved. When things aren't going according to plan. Guess what? The last two years have not gone according to plan. Right? So like... Which means two things. One is, either you're like, man, I've been seeing some junk in my life that I have never seen show up before. And one of those three really hits the nail on the head. Yeah. It's because your sense of belonging has been attacked and you're doing everything you can to medicate and mitigate that pain. But secondly, um, what I notice is, as a church and as the leader of a church, 
being that we've been through stress in a, in a situation that is uprooted and, and caused all kinds of chaos, like in the world, but also in our own community, like people leaving and not being able to gather and people getting sick and never knowing like what's coming around the bend, I feel the pressure to, to resort into these attachment styles in order to mitigate the pain of what's happening in the community. So like stuff happens where you don't know what's going to come, ha- come next and you think, well, if we just like whip people's faith up, then God will notice and we'll be okay for the future. Or we'll like, everybody's struggling with something, but we're just going to like pretend that it's not all happening as a way to maintain what we've got and not look at reality. Or like, yeah, things are bad out there, but things are worse in here. And if you knew what's happening in my heart, then God, you would see and you would, you would, you would meet me where I really am. Look how bad we are. Like there, there's temptation to resort into all three of these things, both as individuals and as a church, based on where we find ourselves in this moment of crises. But the good news that we proclaim today, family, is that though we've been trained to constantly question our belonging and to work to secure it, which only leaves us feeling anxious, fearful, and shameful, in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to secure our own identity. He gives us a new identity as beloved children of God who belong to one another as one new family in Christ. There's a, another attachment theory that I didn't uh, mention. And this uh, category of relational pattern is called secure attachment. Secure attachment. And secure attachment is a pattern in which we know that we're loved in a way that goes beyond our shortcomings or successes. So rather than striving for closeness, we can rest knowing that God delights in us because He's our Father. Because we can handle our sadness, He can handle our sadness, our pain, our fear, our doubt. We don't need to hide those difficult emotions from Him or from one another. That when we know that God is always drawing near to us, that He wants our best, that He's always present and at work, that He cares about us more than we even care about ourselves, that we don't have to hate the unholy parts of our lives, but we can just ask Him for help in them. When we bring our whole selves to God and collapse into His lap like a loving parent, we can enter the resting state of true communion like an infant into its mother's embrace without fretting that we're going to lose that connection forever. That, it, that in Christ, we can find refuge from a scary and chaotic world. This, this pattern of attachment um, teaches us secure patterns of relating to God that we can actually step into the joy and the peace and the love that we've been promised as part of the life of His family. So here's the question. This begs a question. How do you learn secure attachment? How do you learn it? Like, where do you get it from? Do you get it from a sermon? (laughs) Do you get it from a podcast? Do you get it from a worship song? Or the radio? Do you get it from your job? 
Where do you get it from? How do we grow to trust our baptism identity as children rather than reverting into the patterns that we've picked up through our families of origin? We do it, family, by giving ourselves over to God's family called the church. That's how we do it. That's the only way. There's a reason why Paul says, let us not become weary of doing good for the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See, the the way that we rebuild our attachment to God is by entrusting ourselves to a community who's also learning how to relate to God in the same ways. In other words, you can't know God as Father without knowing and committing yourself to brothers and sisters who also call God their Father. We give ourselves over to the reality that we belong to and with God by giving ourselves over to the reality that we belong to one another. We rebuild our attachment to God by maintaining our attachment to each other. Last week I said that we have roots that are both vertical down into the presence of God, but horizontal too. What that means is that you and I need each other. I need you, and you need me, and we need one another. And we need the freedom to bring and receive the real us into community. With all of our insecurities and frailties and fears and doubts and questions, Because to hold back means that we'll we'll never have the opportunity to see the harvest that God wants to bring in our own lives. We'll continue in the patterns that we've received. No, I mean, like, I'm saying this as a preacher who's preaching to you now. No number of sermons are going to rebuild this attachment. You need to know and be invested in the lives of other people. You need to risk Um, being in relationship with them, being vulnerable with them, bringing your whole self to them. And I realize, like, we're called to be real and vulnerable with each other. But we're also called to be the kind of community that that, uh, has earned the right for people to be real and vulnerable, yeah? And so that means being a safe community that protects and honors vulnerability as sacred space, as holy ground, so that people can actually be themselves. And I pray, God, would you make us into that kind of community? But we can't do this work with and for one another by holding the real us back. And we can't do this work with and for one another on a part-time basis. That's part of the reason why the pandemic was so difficult. Is because we're maintaining some level of connection, yes, through a screen for most of it. Um, But we are to be the embodied presence of God with and for one another. We can't do it from a distance. We can't do it on a part-time basis. We can't do it without knowing one another's names and one another's stories and one another's pain. We have to be in one another's lives and advocating for the good of Jesus to find its way deep down into our hearts. Loving one another in word and in deed 
so that all of us are able to reestablish the bonds of love that are very real. They didn't go away. We talked about this last week. They never went anywhere. But maybe they've gone unattended to and unused as we lived in isolation, fear, and shame. There's a reason so many of us are struggling with our faith in God. It's because we've struggled to maintain relationships with other people that, have, that, that are able to reinforce those, the healthy attachment that we have to him. I realize, family, that it is wearisome work to continue to do good. All of us are tired. We have extra strains and stresses through our jobs and through our families. Many of us are grieving losses or pain or sickness that we've been through. We feel more vulnerable than we've ever felt before in our lives. And I just I want to contend that that is not reason to pull away or to pull back. In fact, it is evidence that we need to push in and press on with one another. I don't know what that looks like. I'll just be honest with you. I know that it means relational connection with each other and that we have to provide spaces where that kind of sacred space, that holy ground can flourish. And I'm committed to um, praying about that and, and um, experimenting with ways that that can happen. But I don't have all the answers today. I just know that it's a need both for me and for our family. Uh, and that with God's grace, we, we don't have to psych ourselves up to have that need provided for. We don't need to check out and we don't need to go into shame. We have a good and loving Father that is ready to, to provide for our needs before we knew that we, they were needs to begin with. And as a family, by God's grace, we can help one another with that. So as we respond... I want to ask, um, what patterns of attachment have I inherited that keep me from experiencing God as my good Father? And how does that pattern hinder me from experiencing belonging in His church? That's one thing to ask yourself as we respond today. And the second is this. God, who in my life right now needs a taste of what it looks like to find their real belonging and identity in you? And what's my next step in extending the family to them? The good news is that though we've been trained to constantly question our belonging and to work to secure it, which leaves us exhausted, shameful, fearful, anxious, in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to define our own identity by giving us a new identity as beloved children of God who belong to one another as a new family in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your real love to us, your grace in our lives, um, your desire to, um, to be for us what we cannot get anywhere else, which is the secure, protective, caring, freedom-fueled love of a Heavenly Father that is uh, over the moon for us. God, would you uh, lead us not to revert into patterns where we have to try to secure who we are before you, 
but would you lead us to a place of freedom where we can be who we really are? As a church, I pray, God, that you would lead us as well to create environments, spaces, opportunities where this love and freedom can flourish. We need your creativity and your imagination to see that day happen. But we trust that you're a good father that wants to do that work. And so we entrust ourselves to you.